Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of the musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? I've got to be honest with you, Mitch, I've been better. Same, yeah, mm -hmm. a wee bit fragile this morning, don't mind telling you. Uh, I feel like that's an understatement. The man responsible for this obviously is Mitch Haddad, but the man responsible for it... Yeah, he didn't pour booze down our throats. Yeah, we are chiefly the masters of our own destiny slash demise. But uh, yes, big thank you to Mitch Harrod for having us last night as we returned to the Soho Horror Festival. For another live show, this time with Matt Mercer talking about The Howling 3, The Marsupials, which was great fun. And then the after party, well, that was that. Yeah, that was a thing that happened. (laughs) But yeah, here we are, up kind of bright-ish and not particularly early. With Minisode 145. Yeah, yeah. So set aside the fact that we've got hangovers and let's focus up and do this as we would normally do it. Absolutely. So in the spirit of that, what have you been watching? I watched a couple of things this week, but such a weird kind of double header that I, that I took on this week. It's baffling to me thinking about it now that I watched these two films back to back. Stayed on Shudder for both of them, uh, both right. relatively new releases, both of which you have talked about on the streaming platforms in the past couple of weeks. Kicking things off then, I'm, I'm going to start with one that I didn't particularly enjoy. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, Jaron Lauder's Stay Out of the Fucking Attic. Yeah, I must admit, I wasn't mad about the sound of this mm-hmm. um, when we first looked at it. But yeah, tell us a little bit more. Yeah, this is the story of uh, three movers who take on a moving job at this shady old German guy's house. Uh, he offers them a lot of money to do this job kind of in the one night and gives them the command that he will deal with the basement and the attic himself. Uh, okay. Obviously, things don't go to plan and it's all very stupid. Okay, okay. Uh, and the way you're talking about it, I can just kind of tell by the tone and cadence of your voice that it's the wrong kind of stupid. Yeah, I, I almost didn't like this at all, actually. <laughs> If I'm, if oh, I'm really? Honest. Like, I got off on the wrong foot with it straight away. Like, it kind of ham fistedly tries to kind of shoehorn in some kind of racial undertones between the main characters, like, straight off the bat. Right? One of them's an ex skinhead. Right. Uh, and he's got, like, Nazi tattoos and all that. And that doesn't jibe well with the other Hispanic guy who's kind of new to the crew. Right, so okay. Straight out the gate, there's that. But then, as it goes on and it gets sillier and sillier, they then bring in the age old trope of the Nazis as bad guys again. You can see it all coming a mile away. There's nothing particularly surprising in it. It's not particularly well made. It's not particularly well written. I think there's four writers on it. I mean, it's a it's a debut feature, so I'll I'll give it some pass marks for that. But yeah, it's just not it's just not a very good film. Like it's, right, it doesn't sound doesn't sound yeah. like it's particularly much of anything from what you're saying. Yeah, there's some decent practical stuff going on in here, but for the most part, it's just dumb and kind of boring and nothing, absolutely nothing you haven't seen a thousand times before and done better okay um so was the second half of your double bill uh, any better fortunes wise i would say in terms of 
quality as a film, the next one is by far the better film, but it's uh, by no means an easy watch. It's Violation. Right, okay. A lot of people have been talking about this one this week. Mm. Um, people mostly speaking out, kind of, we did, and we did mention it on the streaming platforms last week. Uh, but yeah, people basically saying that it kind of tackles this very heavy subject matter in a very confrontational way and that it's kind of like a watch once and destroy but absolutely worth watching once seems to be the impression i'm getting yeah i don't know if i'll ever go back to this film to be honest it's it's a punishing watch actually i I don't remember seeing anything that made me that uncomfortable for a long time actually i had to step away for a bit during it just to give a bit of background um it's the story i guess it's kind of rape revenge story but the actual revenge part of it and the mechanics and the aftermath of that are so unflinching that I had to step away at one point. I was just like, I can't, this is like, I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind for this. But mm-hmm. I did go back to it and it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> Uh, okay. To be honest, yeah, it's there's some unbelievably committed performances in here, right? And some stuff that I haven't really stopped thinking about um, mm-hmm. since I watched it, and not not in a good way because it's yeah, it's pretty fucking rough, if I'm honest. And uh, thinking about it in the state that I'm currently in is actually making me feel a bit ill. But an incredibly powerful film, but not one to watch just as an average. Like it's, I wouldn't say it was a date movie. It's not a Saturday night film. No, it doesn't sound like it. No, but an incredibly well-made film, I think, um, given the the stuff that's going on in it. Absolutely laudable. And the performances are pretty great. Okay, so a qualified recommendation then. Sounds like this is great, but think hard about whether or not this is a train you want to get on kind of thing. 100% that. You're not going to have a good time. Okay, no, I understand. But um, yeah, so both of those available on Shutter, right? They are, yeah, both within the last couple of weeks, so they, they'll cool. probably be relatively high on your homepage. Yes, yes, I believe they are, yeah. Um, I have um, a few things, a couple of things I'm going to shoot through very quickly. I revisited Jennifer's Body this week. Oh, right, okay, cool. I, um, I revisited it recently as well. Yeah, it's on the Disney Plus like, star thing, oh. um, which is which is finally bit the bullet and added a horror section rather than just broadly calling everything thrillers. Oh, have um, you? Because I was, I was literally talking about that the other day. I was like, I can't believe like I'm scooting through here and there's things like Ravenous and things like The Fly and things like Jennifer's Body. Why is there this fear to, like, have a horror section? Yeah, um, but I, I found one uh, this week, and, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was how I ended up watching Jennifer's Body. Now, I've read a few things over the last few years being like, the years are being kinder to Jennifer's Body than you'd expect. Go back and revisit it, and you'll get more mm-hmm. out of it. And I was like, right, okay, now's the time. I'm going to do that. So I did, and I think that on this watch, I did get more out of it. I still don't like it very much. <laughs> um... But I think that I see what people mean, certainly. Yeah. The other thing about this, I mean, like, this film is very much about the friendship between Jennifer and Needy. Yeah. Uh, Megan Fox and Amanda Zafri's characters. And it's not pitched that way. Uh, it's not marketed that way at all, I don't think. Definitely not. No, you, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that that was, I guess, the central thing was this relationship and how the relationship changes as Jennifer changes. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, like, watching it with that kind of head on, because I think that a lot of people's initial kind of uh, disdain for this film was probably to do with the fact that it was marketed as being this kind of, like, quite titillating, sexy thing, which it isn't really. No. And I think that, like, to be honest with you, I would say, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see it until a couple of years after it came out first time round, but I remember the reception to it at the time being quite bad and I think that that might be because people were expecting something that they didn't get yeah so watching it back with like with that kind of head on I liked it more but I still and this is true of Juno as well actually I hate it when Diablo Cody writes dialogue for teenagers (laughs) and I can't tell if that is because I don't like her writing or 
if I hate the way, if that's the way that teenagers talk to each other, then I just don't want to know about it. Could also be that you're a curmudgeonly old bastard. It's also true, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe is that is possibly an element of all three. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, you know, like, um, in the same way as like Juno, you'll have to speak up. I'm on my hamburger phone. Yeah. And in, and in this, there's like, oh, you're Jello, you're lime green Jello, and you can't admit it to yourself. Like, I groaned out loud when you said that. I was like, I'd like nobody says that surely. <laughs> no, um, definitely not. Like infuriating elements aside, I would say that like it probably is a little bit more rewarding in retrospect than I expected it to yeah. be. It's that it's, um, it's as unbelievable, I suppose, as like Aaron Sorkin's writing. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like with Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, there's a very nice rhythm to it. But you're like, oh, these are just like very smart, alecky people just constantly quipping at each other, and that's not <laughs> how the conversation works. Um, and yeah, I suppose that there's a comparison to be made there. But yeah, it was all right. Um, speaking of things that I thought were all right, I also was on Netflix this week watching Hostel Part Three for the first time. Oh wow, that's a whole lot of nothing. Well, yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a fair way of putting it, I think, because like, so I watched Cabin Fever this week, um, and I just I kind of got it into my head. I was like, I just don't like Eli Roth very much. Thank um, you. Um, I, I genuinely think that uh, my favorite Eli Roth film by a distance is Knock Knock. Um, <laughs> but um, I was like, but after that, I started thinking about Eli Roth's other films. Started thinking about Hostel and Hostel Part Two. And I was like, oh, I've never seen Hostel Part Three. I'm going to watch that this week. So I did, and as you pointed out when we were talking about it through the week, Andy, uh, directed by Scott Intruder Spiegel. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, correct. Yes. Um. So yeah, this film. Everyone's familiar with the plot of Hostel, of course. Or at least I'm assuming most people are. But this film moves the elite hunting club from Russia to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Which I think may be a move designed to deflect criticism from the first two that kind of painted, I think it's Slovakia that it's in. Yeah, it is. Actually. I think it's Bratislava. Um, as being kind of like teeming with sociopaths and uh, delinquent children. Um <laughs> Which, uh, which was very much kind of like the main takeaway from Hostel One and Two. So maybe like, so it's possible that they shot it in Las Vegas because it was more uh, expedient to shoot there. But like, yeah, I also just kind of had this thing where it was like it came in for so much slagging for um, its harsh depiction of Eastern Europeans. I was wondering if it was maybe trying to step away from that as well. But but, um, but weirdly doing nothing for the uh, image of Las Vegas. Absolutely nothing at all, no. Um, but yeah, it's like so. The setting this time is that the people who end up the victims of elite hunting in this are uh, four guys or five guys away on a bachelor party. One of whom, like, I- I'm glad is the one that died first. And I just remember thinking, and it was like, I know that this isn't an Eli Roth film, but I do always think with his stuff that I have to balance the fact that. I like it when films spend time with characters before things get chaotic, so you're invested, but also that the characters you're expected to invest in are always such dicks. And I feel like that's a real problem with Hostel Part 3. There was a character in it, the minute that you met him, he'd said, like, sexist, racist, ableist, fatphobic stuff immediately. And I got to the end of that, and I was like, oh, I see, I wonder if I'm supposed to like him. <laughs> um, so I was glad that he was the first one that died. He gets his face kind of peeled off, and... The problem with this is that it's not grimy enough. And by that, I mean it doesn't go far enough with the kind of gore and the kills, I don't think. Mm. Because I actually expected it to be this kind of overlit, too clean thing in the same way that the Green Inferno was. But it's not that. Like, the actual aesthetic of it is quite, like, it's quite good. Like, especially when you get into the kind of underbelly of the places and you see this kind of, like, this kind of more seedy elements. I think that, like, that, that stuff all looks pretty good, but it's just not scary or disquieting or uncomfortable like these films should be. Yeah, it wimps out in practically every department in a way that 
whether you like it or not, Hostel and Hostel 2 didn't. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever else you have to say about those films, uh, they don't pull any punches. And I think that that's, by the third installment, that's what people are kind of there for. And I don't think that it manages that. Um, so, but I mean, it was it was perfectly fine. But like, uh, I watched it because of like, okay, now I've seen them all. I straight do not like it. I, I just think it's, like I said, a whole lot of nothing. It's awfully beige, um, I would say. Um, however, pleasant surprise this week on Sky Cinema, I watched You Should Have Left. Oh, yeah, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, Amanda Zayfried again, actually. Oh. Um, but yeah, the Blumhouse film. Now, I I do still have this theory as well, because I mean, I, cause I, when, I, when I started watching this, I didn't think I was going to like it, and I actually took to it a fair bit as it went on. And it's not got particularly good reviews, this film. It wasn't particularly well-received. A lot of people think that it's kind of too much of a slow burn and it's kind of dull and stuff. And I kind of understand that, but basically what you have is... Um, so, Kevin Bacon and Amanda Zayfried are a couple in it. And I remember thinking to begin with, I was like, I googled it, and it's like, oh, he's 62 and she's 35. It's like, are we doing this again? <laughs> like, casting that really age-inappropriate couple thing with a younger woman, which is quite prevalent. But, like, um, they address it almost immediately. It's like a plot point, which I think makes it understandable and kind of usable. She's an actress. Um, he has got, like, a checkered past that is alluded to a little bit. And we learn a little bit more about it as it unfolds. But they basically decant to this cottage in Wales, um, or this house in the country in Wales, to basically with their kids to basically just kind of like chill out and just kind of try and reconnect with each other a little bit. Okay. And weird things start happening in the house. I don't want to say that they're plagued by increasingly terrifying visions, but they are plagued by increasingly terrifying visions. <laughs> okay. Um, but there's this curiosity about what the house is and what it does and stuff like that. And uh, what the point this actually gets to, like when it resolves itself, I actually think is quite cool. And the getting there is fun for me anyway. Like they do these things that are kind of like very incidentally creepy. Like when Kevin Bacon's trying to figure out what's going on with the house, he goes outside with a tape measure with his kid, and he realizes that the like the living room is like five foot wider on the inside than it is from the outside. Right. And things like that. And there's a few kind of. And I don't know. I like I like the fact that the house was this kind of like mysterious entity that kind of gets explained a little bit. Admittedly, from exposition delivery vessel villagers. Um, <laughs> But it's still, I, I like I say, I, I watched this just because it was, again, it was just a, a theatrical release blind spot, something that I hadn't caught before. And I watched it back, and yeah, I actually got a decent amount out of this. So that's the Sky Cinema, now TV, um, if you want to go check that out. Finally, for this week, I watched Greta, New Arrival on Netflix. Yeah, you talked about this last week, I think. Yes, um, yeah, just, it, just, it just landed this week. Uh, directed by Neil Jordan from 2018. This has uh, Chloe Moretz and Micah Monroe. Uh, right. obviously from the guest and uh, it follows the lead though the titular Greta is uh, Isabelle Hipper. Okay. so what happens here is that Chloe Moretz's character finds a bag on the subway right. and returns it to its owner uh, who's Greta played by Isabelle Hipper, and they basically strike up this friendship that returns quite sinister as we learn a little bit more about Greta that character and her history now this worked up to a point and then really really didn't for me i gotta say though right the scene where she like goes to drop off the bag uh-huh. at the start is like it's hilarious like the film is at pains for you to realize that um greta has had a troubled past so it's literally just like chloe Moretz wandering around picking up a photo and being like is this your husband and her being like that's my husband christoph he left me and she's like oh right okay that's sad and then she sits down at a piano and starts playing the piano and then chloe Moretz picks up a picture and she's like is that your dog and she's like yes that's my dog jojo jojo has died and it's like right okay we get it like she's lonely <laughs> like is that your daughter we don't talk anymore it's like jesus christ but um uh yes obviously she kind of like has designs on chloe Moretz's character as being her kind of like de facto new daughter right. she's not up for that it gets increasingly creepy and stalkery and when this is being a like channel five three in the afternoon afternoon weekday trashy thriller about stalkers it's really entertaining 
um, when you're like, oh, what's she going to do now? Like, how's this going to escalate? The second half of this is like a hostage situation, like kidnapper, kidnappy oh, right, okay. thing, which is drivel. Like, the second half of this is nonsense. The first half, perfectly good fun. But, so yeah, um, mixed fortunes this week across the platforms. Isabel Hubert is really good in this, as she is in everything. Watching her in things is great. Micah Monroe, as a kind of, like, sidekick character, is doing a lot with not much. Right, okay. As well. But yeah, uh, my, my the, of, the, of the stuff that I watched this week, I would say that the best thing was just, uh, you should have left. Pleasant surprise there. The rest of it, middling to shite. <laughs> Great. Great stuff. So. Yeah, uh, Nature Gone Wild. And I'm going to throw my hands up here and say that I didn't necessarily seek out a Nature Gone Wild film to watch this week, but I did watch something just because I love it, really. And I think it bears mentioning. Sure. I went back to 1976 and watched Jeff Lieberman's Squirm. Okay, I know nothing about this. I'm going to pick Squirm for a Mitch vs. Andy episode some point in the future, um, provided that no one does it beforehand. Because cool. I think you'll quite like it. Uh, but that's the story of this small town where uh, there's a massive storm, power lines come down and energise the worms in the soil. And these nice. worms come to the floor, come to the surface with an appetite for blood. Oh, okay. I can get on board with that. Mm, mm, yeah, think slugs, but okay. not as good. <laughs> well, I mean, like, what in this life is? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but I would absolutely recommend Squirm. I think it uh, might be available on some of the streaming platforms. I'm not entirely sure, but I have an old Arrow Video Blu-ray of it that I absolutely adore. And that was my Nature Gone Wild film this week. Tiny Crawling Terrors, once again. Lovely. Okay, so. Yeah. Nice bit of falsetto there yeah. to start our day. Yeah. Big thank you to everybody that's been getting in touch this week, and there have been loads of you, actually. So I've kind of thinned it down a little bit. Thank you to everybody that got in touch on our episode on the Block Island Sound. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, a few people kind of shared their opinion on that one, so uh, good to hear from you guys. But yeah, unsurprisingly, a lot of the feedback this week was to do with us finally tackling Zardoz with the aid <laughs> of Brian Lenano. Yeah, that was a time. was indeed. Dan Popamati got in touch, and coupling this with, obviously, last night's live show... Um, he put off all of his podcast homework all week and then ended up watching Zardoz and The Howling 3, The Marsupials, in one evening. That is quite a night. Yeah, I would say that's, that, that's, that's, um, that's an eventful one. Uh, he did get back in touch after he'd seen Zardoz and said, I love how you've covered two films in a row where the director was absolutely blitzed on cocaine at the time they were made, but the results are so wildly different. Made in different eras or just a massive disparity in behind-camera talent? Who knows? I actually prefer Maximum Overdrive, though, but that's just nostalgia talking. Okay, fair. Uh, I, think I'm a, I think I'm firmly in the Zardoz camp, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure where I am with that. I think I would need to, I think I would need to re-watch both to come to an informed decision about that. <laughs> sure. And I can't guarantee that there's a hard and fast line in the future when I'll definitely do that, either. Get off the fence, Bane. <laughs> Um, also uh, Dr. Lauren getting in touch I haven't had the chance to watch the film this week so this might be a kamikaze listen if ever there was a film that like a kamikaze listen would be a gamble yeah. Uh, in terms of just sheerly trying to make sense of what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Zardoz. Yes, I would say that that's, that's up there as being uh, one of the trickier ones so if you did do that Lauren uh, Godspeed <laughs> uh, Turnstile Blue is that Sugar Ape got in touch to say that he was over the moon because Zardoz is one of his all time faves oh cool okay uh, God, I, hope the ep- I hope you thought the episode was good <laughs> it's no longer 
my favourite film. <laughs> Ruined. I hate it. Um, anything else in Zardos? Yeah, a few things. Darren Gaskell getting in touch to say, can't wait for the reactions to Zardos. Mine is generally, uh, what? Absolutely fair. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Andrew Barron, inspired choice. Zardos is a one-of-a-kind film and one of my favourite Connery performances. The guy manages to convincingly convey getting an unexpected direction with just his eyes. And he, yeah, that's true. And he does it in a way where it isn't like a carry-on film. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't like look down at his crotch and go, and it's, there's not like a boing sound effect or anything. Like He's just kind of yeah. like casually waggling his eyebrows like, yes, I'm erect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cosmic Raygirl uh, first watch of Zardoz done thanks Strong Vibe PC I had a great time great stuff hopefully the episode was uh, similar James Patrick Duffy also replied there saying barely have a clue what's going on I'll need the boys more than ever on Friday for this one um, don't know how much good we were yeah useless absolutely useless um, anything else in Zardoz before we move on nothing else in Zardoz okay me neither so I'm gonna turn sharply to our other Patreon content that we released this week which was our episode on Shockwave Darkside 3D, uh, our Irredeemables episode. Enough people had said that they were curious for us to do that, that we decided that we were just going to bite the bullet, uh, take the hit and get it done. A few people getting in touch on that one. Kim Millward, dear deities, thanks for taking one for the team. Um, <laughs> Sandy Godfrey saying there are no words to describe it. Mal Jutley simply saying, you brave, brave fools. And uh, kind of mirroring a lot of people's tastes and uh, opinions on this one. Robert Ricard saying, fuck. And uh, John Dickinson <laughs> saying fuck that <laughs> uh, Neil uh, Horror of Dracula got in touch as well just to say that he was listening to the latest episode and apologising because actually he was one of the loudest voices for us to cover Shortwave Dark Side so it's largely his fault yes I think that this would not have happened were it not for Neil he was the kind of biggest driver of that conversation thanks Neil I have one more thing but I'd like to save it for last so um, if you've got anything else by all means bring it home yeah a couple of things just wanted to say thanks to M at Verbal Diorama who this week took some time out to chat to me and you just about the podcast in general what we're doing what our general ethos is and pretty much how we've managed to podcast through Covid really yeah and this kind of culminated in um, a really nice article yeah, uh, yeah. on uh, at Film Stories which yeah. uh, we've posted about on the social media channel so if you want to go check that out you can but yeah big thanks to M for uh, thinking of us and getting in touch for that yeah it's always nice when someone like actually wants to know a bit more about what it is that we're doing yes yeah yeah very cool so yeah big thank you for that a couple of hot off the press bits of feedback here Mitch just about last night and the So Home Horror Festival live show where we talked about Howling 3 yes uh good time yeah yeah amazing Chris Skelp synopsisizing the after party would be almost as difficult as doing so for the Howling 3 (laughs) Uh, yeah there there were sights and sounds i never expected and uh james patrick duffy similarly a wonderful night with wonderful people thanks to mitch for his tireless work and hospitality to me to you to matt for a great strong violent pc and soho horror fest live show and all the gang that's all you guys that were there for a gloriously odd after party Yep, that's a way of putting it for sure. But yeah, big thank you to Mitch Harrod. Uh, he has outdone himself over and over again with the Shockdown Saturdays. Excited to see what the future holds. Yeah, amazing. What a guy. Unbelievable efforts. You got anything else? Uh, no. Okay, in that case, I want to wrap this up this week with a really cool one uh, that turned up on the Chud Locker this week. Right. Mark Smith was one of our two friends in New Zealand, him and Catherine Mazer, who got uh, Chud badges. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, now, they landed last week, which I think we might have mentioned. They arrived. Lovely. Um, so uh, he is taking delivery of that badge now. And uh, during the week, part of a comment thread, I can't remember what it was we were talking about, but he just said, he was like, oh, did you say that um, you're based in Glasgow? And I said, yeah, we both are. 
So after he asked that, Mark googled what the antipode of Glasgow was. Okay. I did not know that word. <laughs> sure. um, but yes, it is the opposite of something. So uh, basically, the furthest point away from Glasgow in the world. Wow, fuck, okay. Which is apparently Papatawai in New Zealand. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right, I'm probably not. Yeah, well um, but uh, what Mark did was, because uh, he realised, or knew, obviously, that this was 100 kilometres or so from his house. Right. So he affixed his chud badge to his jacket, got in his car and drove there. Fixing it to your jacket is the way I would prefer them to be worn rather than just uh, taking off the protective backing and jamming it into your forehead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. But yeah, he, he, he went there um, and he took a selfie wow. with the badge there and also pictures of the view to the north and south. Wow, so that badge uh, was literally the furthest away from here that you could get on land before you have to start coming back. Yes, that is correct. Wow. Um, like that, like we hope that people still want them, and we hope that these badges will continue to go international. We like seeing where they end up. I know that we've got one on the way to Taiwan right now, but we have now got a chud badge at the furthest. A chud badge has travelled to the furthest point away from Glasgow in the world, courtesy of Mark Smith. Now, I thought that that was a tremendously cool thing to do, and oh, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, man. That's just, that's so lovely. Yeah. It really is, yeah. But yeah, big thank you to Mark for that. Big thanks to everybody that got in touch this week. And to everyone who bought badges, by the way. We've still got some if you want some. Yeah, if you want a badge your own, all you've got to do is uh, send 650 to our PayPal, £6.50, which is uh, stronglanguagevalentscenes at gmail.com, and uh, put your address in the notes, and we'll get one out to you. Yeah, I will get to the post office and... Uh, Send that winging its way to you with a personalised note. Such service. So, moving on. Yeah, normally, as you know, I would scream here. But um, I'm starting to feel a little bit, you know, that watery mouth way? Yeah. And my concern would be that if I open myself up in such a way, fly free, as it were, and let the scream come forth, that it may not be all that comes forth. So what I will do instead is this. It's Mitch's Pitches. Very sultry. It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It will fall to me to describe that image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. We'll share that everywhere so you guys can join in as well as many of you did this week. Now, last week we had the Supernaturals, which was an Andy's pitch, uh, which you reappropriated as hell for leather. I did, yeah, yeah. A good one indeed. Um, so a few people getting in touch on this one then. Annie underscore Ray on Twitter. An American Civil War reenactment hobbyist finds himself in <laughs> hot water when he buys a cursed authentic uniform. All right. <laughs> During a battle, he finds it to be possessed by the unrestful spirit of a still angry soldier. Can he exercise the spirit before he does too much damage? It's uncivil undead. Oh, wow. I quite like that. Yeah. yeah, I would watch the hell out of that, gotta say. CP Buckley then, Civil War reenactor Anderson Lee is brutally <laughs> is brutally attacked by a group of woke teenagers and left for dead. Wow. Ten years later, the teens return home for a high school reunion and find themselves being picked off one by one by someone claiming to be Anderson Lee. Now a race against time becomes a race against time as the last three teens, John Bobbitt, Trevor Rentner and Alicia Hill, must survive the night and find a way to stop him. But is it really Lee or is it the disgruntled former headmaster who doesn't appear until the final act? (laughs) Will the truth prevail or will the teens get their comeuppance? It's the 2016 sure-to-be-cult favourite, There's a Killer at Graduation. Okay, okay, lovely. Yep, like that. I would watch that. Again, CP yeah. is good at just like CP is good at coming up with with films that I would watch. Yeah, hundred percent. Kevin Matthews. Oh, it's the Supernaturals, a VHS I bought at a bargain price, drawn by the star power of Maxwell Caulfield and Nichelle Nichols. 
but to the Pitchmobile. <laughs> after, a de- <laughs> after a deadly plan to kill them off succeeds, that plan involving too much hairspray, a fire twirling support act, and lots of spilled liquor, the village people end up dying a fiery death in what tabloids label the Macho Man Massacre. <laughs> But they won't stay dead. Crawling back from the graves, it's the horror-themed sequel nobody wanted. You really can't stop the music. Wow. (laughs) James Rodriguez on Facebook then. When a group of proud boys stumble upon a book of incantations, they intend to raise confederate skeletons and have them run through the town of ghostly juice in a crimson revenge. (laughs) Fortunately for everybody, the boys are morons, so the magic only works on the skulls, who tell off-colour jokes and do bad impressions. A film whose budget seemed to have gone in cocaine rather than the paltry script. It's the 1973's The South Will Rise Again to make you laugh. (laughs) And finally, Bill Carr. Depressed security guard Daniel Spaniel experiences a spiritual (laughs) and sexual awakening after meeting frisky ex-Shaolin monk and martial arts instructor Bill the Nipple Chang, who takes him on a three-day drug-fueled binge around Manhattan. Along the way, a misunderstanding in a sauna gets them hired as hitmen to assassinate a mysterious skinless mercenary responsible for a terrorist plot to fill the Trump Tower swimming pool with synthetic cat piss in Michael Winner's The Black Belt, The Bouncer and Bony Joe. <laughs> oh, wow, Bony Joe. <laughs> yep, uh, so that's your lot for this week. Uh, so we need from you a best name and a best pitch. Best character name to Daniel Spaniel. Uh, in fact, best character name to that whole pitch. And best pitch to Hanny underscore Ray. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So, uh, Bill and Hannah, today's winners. Yes, enjoy your nothing. So, my turn. Yep, are you ready? Oh, go on. <laughs> okay, it should be with you now. Okay, let's see what we go. Mm. Okay. All right, then. I can work with this. So the borders of this image is white with a black trim. Mm-hmm. That is, I would say, text having been called from the top and bottom of it. That's correct, yes. Um, we see what appears to be, like, a house that is presumably kind of, like, on a hill or kind of... It stands alone. Sure. Uh, it's set against a cloudy night sky uh, with a full moon, which looks like it has some bats flying in front of it. Mm-hmm. Or dragons, because they're quite big in comparison to the house. That's very true, actually. I'm quite big in comparison to the moon. The foreground of the image, we have a woman with uh, fair hair. She's lying on her back. We can only see her head and shoulders and her, uh, her hair kind of cascading down. So if you can imagine she's like, lying on her back, uh, the camera, if you like, is facing her. So her face is upside down and we just see her face and shoulders. Okay, okay. In front of her, there is a plethora of uh, creepy-looking creatures that appear to be populated a graveyard so there is a skull with teeth and one eye there's a kind of green alien looking guy with red eyes and uh, claws uh-huh. there's um, what just looks kind of like a straight up zombie really like a kind of partially decomposed guy with a white shirt on and a shock of thick red, uh, thick black hair in fact there's two of those I would say there's um, there's another one who like kind of like looks to be female with longer hair as well there is a big blue mutant guy with long hair and yellow eyes he's wearing a denim waistcoat and a gold medallion <gasps> Okay. Uh, got a hooded skeleton. Also, kind of like another, kind of like a couple more, kind of like, I think it's fair to say, kind of like genetic hairy skulls. <laughs> like g- g- genetic hairy scully threats. <laughs> and uh, in the background, right at the back there, I, we can see um, a kind of like another kind of zombie looking guy, but kind of more of a thriller kind of zombie. He looks like quite sharply dressed. He's wearing a purple suit. And yeah, he's, he's looking directly in camera as well. So uh, a woman lies on her back and stares at camera against the backdrop of a secluded or kind of isolated mansion as a host of disgusting creatures look on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, I'll need a minute. Yeah, no problem. 
Which, do you remember Thundercats? Yes. A couple of these guys look like they might be kind of discarded preliminary drawings of Mumra. Yeah, rejected Mumra concept art. <laughs> exactly that, exactly yeah, that. Particularly yeah. your, your big blue guy in the centre there with the, with the Mumra medallion. And yeah, I see that. Your, your, your kind of mummy character just over his left shoulder. 100%, absolutely. Um, Thundercats, there was a show. Yeah, yeah, pretty great. Pretty great stuff. Yeah, classic stuff. Okay, uh, <clears throat> right, I think that I'm just about there. Yeah, I wonder if that's uh, that, that conversation there has uh, influenced your pitch in any way. Well, let's find out. When Mumra moved into his... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay. fire away. Aspiring estate agent Millicent Deeds is beyond excited <laughs> when she lands her dream job at Fixer Upper Realtors. Dropped in at the deep end, she is immediately tasked with trying to move along the house that's been on the company's books for the longest, the old Cadaverson place on the edge of town. <laughs> Elected to visit the house for the first time on the 100th anniversary of the mysterious disappearance of the entire Cadaverson family, Millicent is shocked to discover that the house is full of a multitude of gruesome and grotesque creatures. Leaky faucets and mildew are the least of her worries, as what begins as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival. Yep. In 1978's claustrophobic supernatural chiller, First Time Dyer, The Property Ladder to Hell. <laughs> Lovely, thank you, Mitch. Quite enjoyed that. Yes. Thank you very much. So, I had 1978 for the year there. Uh, how far out am I there? Only the five years, 1973 is the oh, actual okay, year. not so bad on the film. The film is Jess Franco's A Virgin Among the Living Dead. A Virgin Among the Living Dead. Okay, what is this about and who is synopsizing? Well, we can go two ways with this, Mitch. Okay. I can give you a relatively short, anonymous synopsis, or I could give you a slightly longer one from Claudio Carvalho. I want the Claudio Carvalho one. <laughs> please. please. I want that one, please. I'll take the latter, thank you. You got it. The student, Christina, travels from her boarding school in London to the castle of her family in Montserrat for the reading of the will of her late father, Ernesto, that she has never known and recently committed suicide. On the arrival, she spends the night at an inn, and the owner tells that nobody lives at the castle. On the next morning, she is taken to the castle by the mute servant, where she meets her weird Uncle Howard, his wife Abigail, and his daughter, Carmense, and Linda, a blind girl. They tell her that her stepmother, Herminia, is on the deathbed. When she visits Herminia, she tells her to leave the castle and dies. She starts entwining daydreams and nightmares with reality. When the will is read, she inherits the mansion. She asks them all to remain there and live with her because she is lonely. When she has an encounter with the spirit of her deceased father, he tries to warn her to leave that place that is evil, but it is too late. Fantastic. That's great. Great stuff. Yeah, I really like the fact that she was on the deathbed. That suggests that there's like one bed in the house that everybody dies on. <laughs> oh, Uncle Joe's looking ill. Roll out the deathbed. Yep, better send him through the deathbed. Yeah. Um, uh, that was great. Thank you very much. Have you seen this? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. Okay. Uh, um, it's, it's, what, it's, it's, it's saucy. want to give a quick shout out to Dave Cooper, actually, um, who, while doing research for his own podcast, Anyone for Seconds, uh, happened on a Claudio Carvalho IMDb synopsis for Fifty Shades of Grey this week <laughs> and uh, saw fit to tell us about it which I was very pleased with because we love Claudio on this show we do, we do and it's an absolute legend one day, one day our paths will cross in real life and he, he, he actually he might hurt us uh, perhaps but yes big thank you to everybody who got in touch on Mitch's Pitches this week that image is now everywhere if you want to join in this week however for now streaming platforms for this week March 29th to April 4th so Amazon Prime first then April 1st has got Goosebumps Okay, excellent. Uh, this has been kind of doing the rounds on the streaming platforms for a little while. It's kind of bounced between them, but I don't actually think that it's on any of them at the moment. Okay. Kind of free to stream. Uh, this is great. 
Yeah. It is a really, really, really fun film. If you're a fan of the books, it's very rewarding. I would say that if you aren't, it would still work. Oh, for sure, for sure. I, yeah. I, I love that film, actually. Also, on April 2nd, uh, one that I would imagine a few people would be interested in, uh, Antebellum. Oh, I okay. I hear this isn't great. I've heard mixed things, but I'm definitely going to watch it um, because a couple of the things that people have said about it, positive and negative, have kind of piqued my curiosity. Uh, that successful author, Veronica Henley, finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Elsewhere then, Netflix has a bunch of stuff, so I'm going to shoot through it as quickly as possible, but often on the first of the month on Netflix, they drop a whole load of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously that's Thursday. But on Monday, we've got Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark from Andre Overdahl. Uh-huh. Now, this has been on Amazon Prime for a while, but it's now on Netflix as well. On the run from bullies, a group of trick-or-treating teenagers hide in a local haunted house and discover a trove of chilling tales unfolding within. Pretty good fun, this. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, on Wednesday, we've got Season 1 of Haunted Latin America. Real people's terrifying tales of the chilling, unexplained, and paranormal come to life with dramatic reenactments on this uh, reality series. Okay. Uh, right, okay, Thursday, a whole load of stuff here. So, Beneath, in classic Aqua Slasher style, six high schoolers set out to cross a lake in a leaky rowboat and soon find themselves at the mercy of a huge fish. <laughs> I know what I'm watching for, my next, for next week's uh, Nature Gone Wild. Yep. Also, a festival blind spot that I'll probably catch this week Curve. A young bride to be trying to shake off a sadistic hitchhiker drives her truck off the road and ends up in a harrowing fight for survival. Uh, also, they live. Oh, right, okay. Um, a drifter stumbles on sunglasses that allow him to see the truth. A world filled with subliminal messages and controlled by malevolent forces. From John Carpenter, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. It's always nice to have another way to see this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Death Becomes Her as well um, a recent discovery of mine at the recommendation of Lauren Ashley Carter mm-hmm. and you thoroughly enjoyed it I believe did yeah two frenemies discover the secret of eternal youth and find it has a few unadvertised drawbacks oh I fucking hate that one carry on frenemies yeah yeah me too um, also got the remake of The Hitcher oh dear uh, uh, I was going to say which I know that you're not a fan of during a cross country drive two students pick up a hitchhiker and are seen fighting for their lives when he turns out to be a serial killer what's up with all these like hitchhikers are getting a bad rap from Netflix this month <laughs> Um, also we've got The Boy not the puppet one the other one. Oh, right, okay um, The Boy comes to Netflix on Thursday as well neglected by his heartbroken father and abandoned by his mother a boy who's fascinated with death drifts towards becoming a future serial killer great favourite of Stevie's I believe this one mm-hmm. um, and on Friday we've got Ron desiring freedom after years of isolated medical care teenager Chloe suspects her mother might be holding her back and harbouring sinister secrets onwards then to Shudder not a great amount going on in the UK this week for Shudder however what we do have is and I will inevitably watch this <laughs> the premiere of the new series of Creepshow. Oh, lovely. Now, this has been something of a mixed bag for you. Looking forward to this? I will. I, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll keep watching them. I like anthologies, and there's a whole bunch of people involved in this who I generally like. I will continue to give this a try, despite it not historically working out that well for me in the past. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the anthology show returns for another season from Greg Nicotero. This season includes guest appearances from Keith David, Molly Ringwald, Barbara Crampton, Justin Long, and many more. Excellent. That's your lot for this week. My pick, personally, I would say this week is probably Goosebumps, just because it's um, a really fun time. And another one, probably, for listeners with kids, it would be a good one. Yeah, I'm going to go for either Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, or, just on the synopsis, Beneath. Cool. Huge fish. Yeah, <laughs> big old fucking fish. So turn their attentions to this week's show, then. Yeah, yeah, and it's that time again. Yeah, can you believe it's like it's come around so quick? It seems this time, uh, but another month's full card of guests has come and gone, which means that it's time for another Andy versus Mitch episode. Mm, now, what did we do last month? Now, last month, if I'm not mistaken, it was me, and I chose Snakes on a Plane. Oh, yeah, that, that was a massive success. Well done. Thanks very much. So, uh, how are you following this up? This is a good film, I think. 
Um, I think it's generally regarded as such, but I think just more eyes on it, more people that can stand up and say, do you know what, this is pretty good. Uh, I actually am of the opinion that it's maybe this filmmaker's best film. Okay. We are going back to 1980, the year of my birth. Okay. For Umberto Lenzi's Nightmare City. Nightmare City. Okay, cool. Uh, where is this accessible? Uh, this this has the feel of an Amazon Prime. It's definitely on Amazon Prime. Okay, so Nightmare City from Umberto Lenzi is our Andy vs. Mitch film for this month. If you want to get in touch and talk to us about that, then you can do. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com and you can join in the conversation, of course, on our Facebook group, The Chudlocker. Yep, and patrons, patrons, patrons. We will have some more stuff for you this week. Also, just want to say... If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, just go on and have a look. It's patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. We're dropping stuff there now with alarming regularity, although we have been slightly shite in that we're doing kind of two episodes a fortnight because things keep coming up on that week in between. Yeah, yeah. We're like, it's, it's like kind of content bombs, but we're getting there. We're doing what we said we were going to do. And uh, we appreciate everybody that's doing that. And we actually do have a new patron to thank in a moment as well. Yes, yes, indeed. However, we are back in your main feeds on Friday. It's Andy versus Mitch, and we're talking Nightmare City. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, guys. Stepping back in to say a quick thank you to a new patron this week. Slowly racking these up, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. We're up somewhere in the mid-30s now. Oh, hey, hey. I saw that uh, Mike over at Evolution of Horror just passed 666. Wow, that's aspirational. Yes, absolutely. That's crazy. Amazing stuff. But big thank you to Matthew Webb for joining us this week. Yeah, Matthew, thank you. You don't need to do that, but we are eternally grateful and I hope you enjoy what we are putting out there. Yeah, you can spend that £2 on anything. Thanks for spending it on us. Thank you. And patrons, we'll be back in your feeds this week. For everybody else, see you Friday. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.